as you venture west of Birmingham in the Ladywood district, you may find one of the city's hidden gems, the Edge Baston Reservoir. In this natural reserve stands a derelict building covered in graffiti, once known as the Tower Ballroom. Before its closure in 2017, this venue has seen 141 years of music, dance, cuisine, sports and romance played out in the most exuberant manner and forging the tower in the hearts of Bromies throughout the generations. The current plan coveted by the council is to demolish this beloved building and turn it into housing, a controversial idea for the natural reserve and a piece of local heritage. Following the production of two films celebrating its past, and at times imagined future, this podcast aims to focus on the present and ponders the question, what spaces do we really want? In this last episode, we meet the heart of the project. Elated Turena and Jessica Samba sat down with Iris Burtz, our executive producer and founder of Burtz Associates. Discussing how she came to build this arts and culture organization, Iris tackles the importance of believing in young people and giving them a chance to express themselves, as well as the urgent need to redefine traditional workspaces. But first, a conversation between our young and talented host, Elaita Turina, with Stephen Stanley, our tech wizard and sound engineer. Drawing from their own respective backgrounds, Elaita and Stephen delved into ways of building intercultural and intergenerational communities, reflecting on the Tower Ballroom and related projects. This interview was recorded at The Yard. How did you actually hear about the Tower Project? So... I didn't actually know that much about it, except obviously I'd walked around the reservoir and seen the old building, but I didn't know much about it to, I believe it was like a couple months ago, there was a protest of some sorts where people had a stand and they were showing their reimagination of what they want for the space because it's being sold into flats and stuff, right? People were having a protest and Jonathan brought me along because he was going to meet Iris there. And then when we got there, there was a guy and he was doing dancing on it like he had money and he was like I think he was voguing um it was really cool and then I got to talking with Iris and she told us a bit about what they were doing because I had just walked in and then stood and then the guy started dancing so I was kind of mesmerized by that and hadn't really checked in with what the people were talking about but Iris was talking to Jonathan and me about what was happening and going on and then I found out later on I think when we were walking home with Jonathan that he was like oh yeah I've actually been working on a couple projects about it. I think at the time that was Dreaming Tower Ballroom. And then after that, I got invited to work on Sporting Tower behind the scenes where we were talking to lots of different people about their experience of the tower. So I think all in all, we talked to two people, one person that used to box there, and that was really interesting. I think he was the first person we talked to. We had like our first, I don't want to call it a meeting because it was quite informal. It was like a get together. Mm. And I think Janiel let us all get to know each other. And then we got told more about the tower. And then the next time we interviewed someone, I want to say his name was Peter. I'm going to stick with that, but I may be wrong. Um, and he used to box there and he was the English Commonwealth champion. Okay. Yeah, it, that, that's what it was. And he did Thai boxing 
and he was explaining to us about how the tower was really the place where he got started with his boxing. He used to live somewhere up north, I don't really remember, but he was. it wasn't like the best experience for him growing up. So going into Thai boxing was his way of punching back, I guess. And then the tower really let him express himself through that. And then I think he went to Thailand as well and he was telling us about that experience. And just listening to him speak about how the tower changed his life was so interesting because at that point I hadn't actually seen Dreaming Tower or seen any of the other projects. I just knew what Iris and my brother had told me. And just by seeing the way it impacted his life, that's what got me hooked and into the project was I love history. And I think that's why my brother invited me along because I love learning about how spaces impact people and just hearing about how the tower allowed him to have like a space where he can come and he can fight and he can meet people, he can dance. That was really interesting to me that that was a space for that. And then the second person we interviewed was Stanley and he was an older gentleman. He was telling us about like his experience and that was a different side of the Tower Ballroom, which I thought was really interesting because one person was like, yeah, I went there to box and I went there to party, it was good. But then he was like, oh yeah, it was a good place for ballroom dancing. And he told us the story about how he met his wife there and they're still married now and that was, that was a cute story, like it was adorable, it was great to hear. And then he was telling us about how his son also went there. And then that was the first time we talked about how intergenerational it was. That got me hooked further. And then now I'm doing a podcast on it. So obviously it's got me in its grips. Obviously it's a communal space inside and outside. So before you actually worked on that project, when you came into contact with the tower, what was your first impressions? Did you have any idea about it or did you just see this derelict building? Was it actually on your radar? Did you just walk past it and you didn't, you didn't see it? What was your first impression when you first came in contact? So obviously I live around Ladywood, right? So we, me and Jonathan, that's my older brother. Back when I was, I want to say year six, year seven, we used to go walk around the reservoir or runs in the morning. And it was, I remember this one time, I think it was the sun was setting and we were walking by it. And that building was always there. But you know, when something's like always in the background, yeah. in the corner of your eye, but you never really pay attention to it. And obviously it was covered in graffiti. It was run down. It wasn't somewhere where it really caught your eye. One day, I don't remember why we looked at it, but we were just, what do you think that building used to be? And I remember trying to make guesses at art. Maybe it was a cafe place because it was near the reservoir because there's a sailing club further down. So maybe it used to be where they used to have the old sailing club, but we never really knew what it was, which is so disappointing because now so many people I talk to, when I bring it up, they're like, yeah, I went there, but no one ever really brought it up because you never mentioned the space it's not mentioned anymore but when you mention it everyone's like oh yeah i went there i have this experience with it or my mom went there my grandmother went there but it's so run down no one even points to it and asks anymore mm -hmm. so i just think that's so disappointing but yeah my first experience of it was it was just a rundown building i used to see when i walked into the reservoir you know you always wonder when you see like old mm -hmm. buildings what did they used to be but i never really had a reason like mm -hmm. i do now to look further into it if you scrap the whole idea of the town. Give me your interpretation of what a community space or a community place should be and what should it give people and what should people get of it. I'm not trying to parallel the, um, the tower. I'm just trying to get your first initial idea of how a community space should work. I think for a community space to work, you have to have a place where 
you're not trying to force people into certain activities and I think that's the problem with some places it's like this is a place specifically for sports this is a place specifically for this for that and then that kind of alienates people that don't necessarily want to be involved in those things and for it to be a community space I think it has to be like an open space where people can bring whatever they want into it instead of like branding it from the get-go as this is just for sports this is just for arts because it gets people thinking oh well I'm not interested in football so why would I go to a community space that's about football right so I think for it to be a community space you have to let the community mold it and shape it so have a space where people can come in and be like oh can we use this for whatever event that we want to hold or can we use this to teach karate you know whatever it is that the community wants to do and I think having that will allow a community to thrive because when you come in to do your thing you will see someone who's doing another thing and that's when you have the crossover and the link that's how you should really get a community space starting my first introduction to a community space would probably church that's like intergenerational multicultural right because before that obviously I had my family and we're Ethiopian yeah. so I had been to like Ethiopian Mahabar before which is community gathering for Ethiopian people but those were like when I was too young and they were mainly focused on new year celebration so it was very specific it wasn't really getting to know your community it was more like talking to your distant aunts and uncles not biologically but you know what I mean but a community space my first idea of it was church when I first went to church there was lots of different kinds of people there was Jamaican people Indian people Asian people white people that was the first time where I got to interact with people older than me and it wasn't the family member youth group was the first time where I interacted with people my own age people slightly older outside of school obviously Mm -hmm. because when you're in school it's slightly different and that was like yes there was a purpose which was talking about church but outside of that we had a really great youth leader I think Mm -hmm. his name was Pete right he was really good at getting you engaged even when you didn't want to be you'd walk into youth group and it's like oh they're going to teach us about church right and then you'd sit down and then his first thing would be like okay let's play a game and then you get straight into playing a game and then you get talking to the people around you Mm -hmm. you talk about what you've been doing in the weekends you complain about school and if they're older than you they'll tell you like oh it's not even that bad you don't know how it is Mm -hmm. if they're younger than you they tell you oh that's so cool that you get to do that and it's like getting to interact with lots of different people. And as I grew older in church, right, I was put into kind of a leading role in the Mm -hmm. youth group, which is super cool because I saw lots of these kids grow up. Like in my mind, some people are still 10, but they're now like 13, 14. And it's very weird to me to see. And we're still all so close. I'm friends with people that are older than me that like my older brother's age because they used to be in youth group when I was little and I think that space where obviously there was a reason for us to being there it was like just talk about the bible but outside of it you managed to make such a close connection with someone because you got to play games with them you got to talk with them you got to talk about your day your week and I think that idea of a community space is really great But I think what the church could do more was focusing on, like, I think it's doing it more now. It's trying to push for it more now because for a long time when I was younger, I hadn't talked to the older members of our church, which is very disappointing. But now I've been talking to Maverney more recently. She's trying to get me more involved in things. And it's really interesting to see her stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was so, I was so surprised, but she went to the towel ballroom and like, she never spoke about it. She didn't Mm -hmm. really bring it up, but she's one of those people, she's when you mentioned it she'll be like 
you didn't ask. She she won't bring it up unless you ask. That's such a cool experience that we never got to talk about because we don't get to interact with people older than us a lot, which is really disappointing. You know how we talked about the um, the Tower Ballroom and it's intergenerational. If you can imagine a river and this river is traveling through, it hits rocks so it meanders left and right. The rocks could be the different events or people that happen in a certain time period that actually shapes it. So the cultural impact of the individuals around the tower have an impact on it and they shape it. That's going back onto what we spoke about earlier mm-hmm. about a community space that you just don't build it. You actually you start it and then the community help form it yeah. and, and shape it. Out of community and relationships, out of intergenerational, is there anything that you got from, say, a great aunt or grandparent, you know, they said something or they, they did something that you can consciously know that you've taken on board a skill or saying or a habit that you've taken on board from them that is like an intergenerational meme that's, that now you hold dear to yourself. Is there anything in your life that any have you had experience like that? I don't know because I think when I was younger, obviously I grew up in Ethiopia, but yeah. that's where my grandparents are. I haven't had much time to talk with my grandparents because I was six when I moved here. So it's been mostly talking to my mm. parents. I have some memories of my grandmother. Can you tell me any little thing that you're, you know, like you say you picture your grandmother. Can you describe her? One of my most vivid memories I have is her making coffee in our porch place, the front of your house. Yeah. yeah. She was always laughing and making jokes. and. If you found out how old she was, you really wouldn't believe it. She looks so much younger. She's always smiling and laughing. She's always playing with us, like all my memories. Was she doing that while she made the coffee? Yeah. When you say make the coffee, because I've got experience of that from my grandfather in Jamaica. He used to grow coffee and he used to put it on what we used to call the barbecue. a big kind of stone area where they put it out to dry so i do remember that and that's quite vivid in my memory so just explain to me when you said your grandmother's yeah so obviously she would get the coffee beans like while they were still raw and she would i know the word in a parrot yeah roast it yeah, yeah as we were there she would have like a portable stove and she would roast it while we were still there there's a tradition yeah. when you're roasting coffee in ethiopia you'd go up to people and you'll let them smell so it you'll you'll waft coffee, it to them yeah, yeah. it's normal for older people but she'll come up to us and she'll she'll do a little bit but she'll be like don't do too much you might get drunk as a joke because we weren't allowed that much coffee it was with lots of milk and stuff she would like waft a bit to us as well and then she would go and um what what's the called mortar and pestle yeah, mortar yeah and she would ground it as we were there everything was done as she was instant. there it was none of the instant coffee stuff yeah. or anything and then there's an ethiopian thing that you make it in called a jebana Mm. and it was the most precious thing i remember once i think my mom broke a jebana and she was so sad because she had to get it shipped in from ethiopia it's made from straight clay and every time you use it you wash it and then you coat it back up as well yeah you have sets to make coffee in you'll have little cups because Ethiopian coffee is really strong. It's not the kind of coffee you'll have in a mug. More like an espresso. It's more like an espresso. So yeah, 
you do rounds in Ethiopian coffee, right? You'll do a first round, which is the strongest, and it's always for the adults. And as you were doing it, you'd talk about what's happening in the community, you'd tell stories, and there was this game called Abosem. It's like rock, paper, scissors. It's like a decision game. And if you lost it, you would get ordered around to do a little thing. So it would be like, do a little dance, oh, sing this song. We used to always play that. And then the second round was slightly weaker, but it's you still wouldn't give it to kids. And then the third round, you'd mix it with a lots of milk and you can let the kids add lots of sugar as well. I used to remember there's this thing my mom and grandma used to do. My dad doesn't like it. He thinks it's weird because I, he grew up in the countryside where you have to follow tradition, but they grew up in the city. So there's this thing that they used to do. I used to make popcorn alongside. That was a regular thing. You never did it without popcorn. You'd always bring the popcorn out. You used to get the popcorn and put it in the coffee with milk and then scoop it up like like cereal sort of because mm -hmm. it'll get soaked in the milk mm -hmm. and like the sugar and you, you just eat it up i would do it with my fingers and my mom used to always be like no use a spoon because you'd just be out playing and then you'd be caught back in and you're just digging in with it your traditional comfort food yeah 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 so if somebody came through the door right now and gave that to you what would you feel just just pure happiness because it's like rem remembering because there'd always be incense around right the first time i remember when was it i think we went to a orthodox ethiopian church right and that was the first time since back home where i had smelt that smell and it just fully reminded me of when we used to sit around and have coffee because i just i didn't smell that smell all the time in my mind that smell was with having coffee with your family and like people from the community because when you made coffee it wasn't only you and your family our neighbors would always be around for coffee would that be your local community neighbors or say for example if any travelers came through where you live would you invite them in for coffee? Definitely. One thing that's jarred more my parents, more my mum, because my dad did a lot of travelling, was that in England and like Britain, there is a strong sense of who your close relatives are and then who other yeah. people are. But in Ethiopia, when my mom was in labour, she left me and my brother with one of our neighbors we had a nanny but like when she wasn't around she you could easily drop off your kids at someone's house and yeah. be like oh can you take care of them please i have to go run to the shop right my mom used to she has a lot of kids right so yeah. when she's working when our nannies weren't around or stuff you could easily do that so it wasn't strange for if someone was passing by you'd be like oh we're making coffee do you want to come in just mm -hmm. just invite people in but our neighborhood as well it was pretty big so it's not like your next door neighbor that's just considered your neighbor yeah. but it's more like just people around you people that you meet in the marketplace that you like you'd be like oh do you want to come around yeah you just invite people over there wasn't this sense of like these are your close relatives and then this is everyone else it's funny because you, you talk obviously we got different cultures and we got different backgrounds we got one common denominator african of african descent a lot of what you say resonates within me and within my culture. So we have this thing where within a village or a township or wherever you are, the next person, the next street on is also like your father. Yeah. So you would have to conduct yourself in front of them and they have the right to discipline you. Yeah. So it's not like if you was walking out and you're playing on the street and you're getting up to some mischief as a child. You know instinctively if you saw any other adult yeah. that you could be reprimanded immediately. Definitely. And even if you went and told your parents, you would be get, like good. You get two. Yeah. So you get <laughs> you get discipline from them. Yeah. And then you get another discipline from your parents. Mm. The parallel what I'm trying to drive is you have memory of your past 
and that's a community memory. And how does that translate to the Tower Ballroom? The reason why I wanted to talk about it in that respect is so that anybody listening can actually see that within the Tower Ballroom and that community that was going on, there's always a transferal of ownership, a transferal of, mm-hmm. of influence, of education. Where that happens is where you have a spot where people can feel relaxed and feel at home and feel a part of. And you always get more out than what you put in because as an individual, you're only putting in as one, but you're getting out from all the other people that are putting in. If you was going to create Tower Mm 0.2, what would be the key strategies in that location that you would want to put in to encourage more of, you know, skills, talent, education, history? I'm not talking about it being formal, but I'm talking about that informal cross-pollination of ideas and influence. When it comes to what I've heard about the tower, people yeah. came for one thing and then met friends and then came to another thing that they were going to that they didn't even know about. I think there's a problem with people not knowing about what's going on in the community. Yeah. So one big thing about Tower 2.0 that I would make is like make sure everyone knows what's going on all the time. Um, make sure people are aware that this culture is having a day or this person is doing a thing and make sure to have people understanding what's going on at all times so they know it's not just for this specific culture group or this specific age group we do other things and just come and meet people so i don't know specifically what we would have in it i would think music is a thing that most people enjoy i'm just trying to think of you'd have for example distill down the fundamentals fundamentals would be definitely a place where you you can meet up whether outdoor or indoor fundamental number two Definitely a place where you can prepare and serve food. Fundamental number three, definitely a place where you can get involved with something creative. So just a few aspects that you know that you can get access, I think would be advantageous. What the tower provided, it provided a space and it had music there and you could eat there. And it had a place where you could sit outside and then people can meet and yeah. they, can, they can talk. And often when that happens, you have different people go there for different reasons, but they do that swap over, which mm-hmm. is good. So I was just trying to think for a simple plan for the future, for any other place that might be creating or being created or being planned out. What are the key fundamentals that allowed for the whole system of the tower to exist and have this massive legacy and also why i use the analogy of a river is obviously you have something that starts and when is a natural end to something do you think that the tower has come to a natural end or is it going to be like the salmon as it gets to the sea there's a point where it goes back to the beginning and mm. you have this this repeat is it possible that Although the tower building physically is in its demise, but could there be something that could germinate and start that whole process again from that spot? I think definitely. I don't think people have changed that much. People still need a space for community to get to know each other, to be able to laugh, dance, eat, sing, enjoy each other's company, enjoy arts, enjoy dancing, enjoy activities. And I think people are still yearning for a spot like that. Lots of communities are like, we need community spaces. The youth have basically nowhere to hang out. I know this from experience, like I want to do boxing, right? And I have to travel. I have to take a bus to do that. There's nowhere around locally in Ladywood where I can do that. The Ladywood center doesn't really run a lot. Um, I haven't even seen it open, I want to say, in the last two to three years, especially after COVID, haven't had a peep out of them, right? And the only real thing 
be doing in Ladywood is the new Ladywood Leisure Center. Mm-hmm. And you obviously have to pay for the gym. You have to. And I think there's one afternoon where you could do, young people could do swimming for free. And then another afternoon mm-hmm. where older people can do swimming for free. But outside of that, there's nothing else that I can think of in Ladywood. And having somewhere like the tower, I'm not saying we have to bring the tower back, back in its yeah. full glory because I don't know how long that would take. I don't know how much money you'd have to put into that. But definitely a space where people can meet, talk, have fun, enjoy themselves in a space where they know they're not going to have to be told, oh, you're being too loud. Oh, you're in my back garden. Your music is way too loud. Things like that, that young people have to worry about. Like when me and my friends hang out in a park, we have to be careful not to be too loud because parks are around where people live. People have their younger kids in there. So you have to be careful about what kind of music you play and what kind of words you're saying half of the time, right? Once me and my friend wanted to play basketball, let's go all the way up to five ways to find a place, a park that had a basketball court in it because mm-hmm. places around Ladywood, they just don't. There's not lots of things to do. There's maybe a slide and a swing. We definitely need those spaces for younger people, for older people, just to be able to meet like you were saying, the fundamentals, to be able to have a space like that is definitely necessary. Even though, as you said, the tower, the building itself is on the demise, people are yearning more than ever to have a community, especially after lockdown where people have realized isolating yourself is so detrimental to you yeah. and your mental health. People are looking for spaces and especially in Ladewood, you have to go out of your way to find them. Yard is a new development, Port Loop. They're trying to get communities closer and try and open Mm -hmm. days. But even that, lots of people don't know what's going on in Yard. They just haven't heard of it. They haven't heard of Port Loop. They know about the new buildings, but they don't know about this communal space. And I think having a place like the Tower where communities can come together, do things, enjoy themselves is very important. And I, I don't think it'll never not be important. I don't think there'll ever be a time where people will be like, oh, we don't actually need these spaces. People may think they don't need those spaces, I don't know for what reason, but people need other people and people need enjoyment and entertainment. And places like the Tower gave that to so many people. They gave so many people the chance to go out with their friends, to meet boyfriends, girlfriends. They gave them time to like dance, enjoy themselves while they were still young. And now my age group, your only choice is either to hang out in a park or you have to like, what, forge your ID to go to a nightclub. That, that wouldn't happen if there was a place like the Tower where you could safely have a dance and sing and eat and then go home. Um, I think Lorna Laidlaw was saying in her interview that it was seven to 10 kind of thing. You wouldn't be out later than that. So your parents wouldn't be too worried and no one would be looking at you strange because that was your space. That's what you could do. There's just not spaces like that anymore. People tend to like people watching. If a carnival is on or if an event is on where there's people gathering, it's a natural spectacle. So people will stop Mm -hmm. and hang around and watch what happens. It's like a chain reaction. So you get a few people together, they're listening to music, singing, dancing or whatever. You tend to find there's a congregation of people around the the outside looking in Mm -hmm. and then you find people. Often the people that you least expect, their ambitions go down and they, they will join into whatever is happening in the central quadrant of what what is there. So I think with the tower, in the past it was really good because it did that. People used to come along, they would obviously they'd meet their peers. This is before internet, yeah. which is relatively new. And it's before texting, which is relatively new. A lot of people didn't have phones back then. Mm-hmm. So they used to make it a point of actually logging in or clocking in to the tower and get 
basically the latest news, the mm. latest chat, what's going on, what's going, what's happening. That's how they used to tune in and get their information. And then from that, stemming from that, people getting together, they build relationships. So they build friendships, partnerships, girlfriends, then boyfriends, and then dating fiance, then mm. marriages, and then children, and mm-hmm. then birthdays. And all these things cascade out just from this one place. Through working on the Tower Project, how has it inspired you? Has it changed your thinking? Is there any tools that it's given you that you've thought, okay, I've learned, I've taken from this, this is really important for me to apply myself? You know, what is it that you've got from the project? I think from this project, I've got a better understanding of how community spaces work. If you asked me before this, how would a community space work or like what is a community space I'll just tell you a place where people hang out I hadn't really considered the fundamentals uh, you could call them or like the things that go into making a community space and how intricate it is and how it's basically like an ecosystem that has to cohabitate I think what we saw with the tower is like if a new thing is introduced to the ecosystem and it just doesn't gel then it can sort of break apart right that wouldn't be something I would have thought about before and especially hearing people talk about their experience of the tower it's shown how fundamental and how important community spaces are and it's not just a place where you can hang out it's a place that affects people it's a memory that they hold years and years into the future you'll be reminded of you hanging out in this space with your friends doing this thing this has really impacted me because you you just see how people use spaces and how it can impact them and also I don't want to say this but it has kind of made me a bit sad to see how quickly things like that can go downhill like in people's memories 10 years ago they were partying there they were with their friends and then they go back and it's a derelict building like how quickly that can happen and how the council like they haven't even considered the how monumental this space was to people and in their mind it's just like oh we do house and care it's so disappointing to me that that can happen so quickly but I think working on these projects it's helped to see how much stuff has come from it and obviously focusing on the future and seeing what community spaces can learn from places like the tower even if there is no way to salvage the tower we bring it with us what it taught us and how to create community spaces It lives on in the legacy of what it taught people of how to build a community. The whole idea of the tower being this this third party and influence so many lives. It's so sad that it's going to go now and a lot of people are going to miss it. It's going to affect a lot of people intimately and emotionally. And I was thinking, do you think it would be a good idea to have a funeral for the tower? In the sense that once you have something that has such a great impact on people and it's going to be missed for them to have their respects to say goodbye to that Mm. building rather than it just fizzle out without any recognition you could i don't know maybe some way of just remember the tower and so that next generations or further generations can hear about it and see it and say okay that was that and it meant this it's gone Mm. now but there's still elements of it that's still around it still in people that would be an amazing idea but On the other hand, I know lots of people still have hope that something can happen with it, something that's different. Maybe not the tower as it once was in its former Mm -hmm. glory, but something can come of it that doesn't just become housing. But I think having a time of remembrance of what the tower used to be. And I think these projects, Dreaming Tower, Sporting Tower, this podcast, just everything else people are doing around this is really important because it's telling the stories that otherwise would have been lost to time. Like your what your children would have heard it, maybe your grandchildren would have heard it. But other than that, nobody else would know that 
outside of your family. And I think these projects, they're bringing it more to light. They're allowing people to understand. I wouldn't have known about this if it wasn't for these projects. And I wouldn't be here to talk about them. And I think having a, a memorial type of thing where people can come and pay their respects for the place that they once used to thrive in, it would mean so much to people, I think, because instead of it just fizzling out, like you said, and just being like, oh, it was once great, and then it slowly deteriorated, and now, what, it's a, it's a building with graffiti on it. Having, a, like, a memorial would be so important just because people could remember how it once was and understand that while the building itself is gone, the memories are still with them and they can still impart that on the future generation. I met Iris when I first went to the tower as part of, I don't know what to call it, like a reimagining of the tower, I think it was. And lots of people were there and they were all talking about how they would like to see the tower. And I remember seeing a performance and then I met Iris through my brother who was already doing a project with her. How did you meet Iris, Jess? Um, I applied for a job with Iris about a year ago. Mm. And I didn't get the job, unfortunately, but then we remained connected. Mm-hmm. Then when I lost that job, I went back to Iris. <laughs> and after that, she gave me a position as her social media assistant. So that's right. And that would be at Burt's Associates, right? How did you first start that? So I'd been working in the arts for ever really since 2000. A lot of work. I did a lot of work in education, through creative partnerships work. I've done quite a lot of consultancies, a lot of exchange programs Mm -hmm. and so on. And in 2020, 30th of January, just before lockdown, I started Birds Associates. The motivation was fairly clear for me. I wanted to direct and support my own projects, which sit within our value system of co-construction and collaboration. Mm -hmm. So I started this company, which is a not-for-profit company. And um, the idea really was to run it sort of and develop it slowly alongside my other consultancy work, but Mm. that changed drastically. We have sort of very clear aims as well, which are really to bring younger practitioners or emerging practitioners of diverse cultural backgrounds into the industry because there's a really, really long problem that people can't get in the industry. So if you work in class, if you're from, from different backgrounds which are not wealthy, you just can't get into the industry that what that means is that people who decide to tell stories like film or audio are always the same people so we're always Mm. being told the same stories the same narratives always yeah i'd worked with we don't settle as an evaluator and was really inspired by their work i met a lot of really interesting young practitioners and they do really fantastic programs but i felt like once people worked with them where's the next step and we talk a lot with them and we're hopefully going to collaborate with them. So it's sort of, I've seen this over the years that this happens a lot. There's sort of training workshops and then the next step is missing. So that's where we started. And then the Tower Ballroom project started to shape in our heads. How long have you lived in Ladywood? So I moved to Ladywood about 12 years ago now. And I've always lived right here by the Edwassen Reservoir. So I came from Leamington Spa and I was doing a lot of work in... North Birmingham in the black country. So this area seemed to be quite convenient to travel. Did you have to change the way that you wanted to work because of the lockdown? Before it started, did you want the business to be one way, but then had to adjust because of the lockdown? I would say absolutely yes. Because I think in the last two years, we've become really a very creative 
digital creative organization. Mm. So we mostly work in film, digital media and all that. And if you'd asked me two years ago, that's not what I thought I would do. Because that's really not my background. My background is very much in visual fine art. It's in facilitation, in setting projects up. But this has been a real roller coaster journey of finding a complete new identity for the company, but also for myself. Having said this, the company didn't have an identity because it was so young, but I don't think that's the direction we would have set up often. But I think that also reflects how we work, because if you work in a truly co-constructive, collaborative, organic manner, that will happen. So you might have a plan and then life develops and then you develop your skill, you develop your team skills Mm -hmm. and then other projects stem from there. I feel like the way you work, you sort of mould it around the people, less of like have a clear idea and be like, yeah, you've got to fit into this. You kind of like, oh, so you're good at this. We can add this because this podcast actually came from the idea when we were doing Sporting Tower as a visual thing. And then you were like, oh, what do you enjoy doing as a media? And I was like, I enjoy podcasts. And I think you ask a bunch of other young people as well. And that's how this sort of started. It was sort of like moulding it around to the people that were already involved and already interested and then adding new people. And I really like that kind of way. Instead of making people fit into your idea, you let them build their own idea around it and facilitate that conversation. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of creative freedom. So we're allowed to do with you. So that's one of my favourite things about doing work with you and other projects. I think that's really important to me because I feel like I don't really know all these things like mm-hmm. I don't know that much about podcasting I'm just aware that younger people are really into podcasting and I know also Jess has done podcasting before so mm-hmm. I knew that and it's interesting you say that because we get quite a lot of interns from UOB University of Birmingham and when I was talking to Van Neel who is one of our interns who are working on this podcast as well yeah. she really just wanted to work on it so I said fine it wasn't like oh but you came to us with a different application that's not interesting to me. What yeah. she wrote in the application was interesting to me is who is she? And she worked with us on showing our films on the film tour. But what I'm trying to do is really find out who are people we're working with and what are they passionate about? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where you get the best outcomes. And I think it's really interesting. Like we'll have one conversation before we start recording and then you're like, we need to make that into a podcast. That needs to be our <laughs> next project. And I always think that's very fun because you're very encouraging about whatever we have to do. And I feel like it's hard to get that. It's hard to find people that are very encouraging of creativity and see it as realistic. And it's not just like, oh, you can do whatever you want. You will help us like mold it. You're not just like, go at it you're just kind of like this is the steps that we can take we can connect you with these people you've connected me with a lot of people through these interviews we've talked to a lot of people and I was wondering how did you meet some of them do you remember they first got involved with the tower and how you got involved with them so I think some of the people we interviewed is there's like Gavin Rogers who is really a creative director on our organization as well Mm -hmm. I met him through somebody else by chance we (laughs) worked out that we are neighbors and that he teaches at the university I went to, which is really funny. So he works with somebody I went to uni with now. From there, things spiraled. So people would say, oh, I know somebody who really knows a lot about planning and use. So I'm at Simeon. I'm very widely networked and I think I very much look across sectors. So I don't think we just need... Like artsy people. Artsy people. Mm. That's not doesn't really interest me because I think we do as arts people talk too much to each other anyway. So we Mm. need to step out to make... A difference because what we have is creativity and we have a braveness to think differently but 
to have that voice heard when you just step outside of it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it develops. Then I met people through We Don't Settle and also have got a wide network from working for 20 years in the sector. But for me, core values are always, can you truly collaborate? And many people can't. They really can't. They're mm-hmm. so controlling. They can't let it go. And this is my overarching value in the organization. And it's interesting how you describe it a little because I think for me it's this yes I give you a lot of creative freedom but we have some professionals around us which help us rein it in it's not about reining it in I actually bring it together that's why you have a professional that's their role then Mm. they mentor they say oh maybe if you do this so like we brought in our producer for the podcast just to sort of polish it she's somebody Rebecca Tolley with a lot of experience so that's also exciting for you because you need somebody who's done this professionally this is the way how I work I think this connecting across people who considered not professional people who professional connecting across different cultural backgrounds connecting across different ages that's where mm-hmm. I'm at my happiest yeah, I think everybody that's been involved in the project is quite happy as well it's just like not a traditional working environment and I feel like that it should be the way that people should go to so when I for example when I work for you I don't feel like oh today's Monday I have work so why do you think that people are still doing like this traditional way of working instead of letting people be a bit more free with what they want to do I think there's a real fear in society about stepping out of the normal system. So I think a lot of our working realities come from industry. And I think we don't think about this. So I think a lot of the nine to five, for example, comes from servicing machines. And when I talk to other people, have you thought about that nine to five means you have to work these hours because the machine's running? We're not working like that. That's not what we're doing. We need to look at other stuff like maybe we shouldn't post social media at the weekend because maybe people didn't read it or we should or we can schedule this. It's about actually redefining what work is I think Mm -hmm. so I'm really interested in a lot of the new theories around work and there's a lot of people talking out there about these things but it's very undervalued really interesting with current movements around post-lockdown that people say oh you have to come back to the office because I have to see you you have to sit your hours and actually when you look at people who work office jobs they often don't work the hours they don't actually do stuff certain hours because they run out of work, they may be tired, they may be not well at that moment. So I try to think this is a task we need to do and needs to be done by then. When you do it, is it really your judgment? And that's I also work with myself because also I have a long-term health condition. So I have days when I just feel terrible and I've learned rather than work through it, I'll go and rest and then I can do the work in half the time than I originally thought I needed for it. Or I was really struggling like when I'm well, like I can't see very well, sometimes I just struggle with a screen. And so I'm trying to find a way how we can work without, without killing ourselves over it, but working with this very strong dedication and passion at the same time. But yeah. it can, it's a dangerous game because you can get into the adrenaline rush and then you kind of overwork. And so it's that balance I'm trying to sort of get in work. Working with you has been really different to what I have seen people talk about how they work. I've never worked on anything this long term before, but this has been really interesting for me because you let us decide what times we want to work. You will ask us, are you free to stay? And if we say, well, no, but I can fit it in. You're always like, well, no, we're not doing that because you don't expect us to sit down and work for an extended amount of time. And I think that's really interesting. I think creativity needs space. And I think what happens often is that when people work in these traditional working environments, they go like, okay, it's 9.15 on a Monday, be creative. 
but you might not be in touch with that. Mm -hmm. And I think the oppressive system of our work life really knocks the creativity out of you. So I think you need to be rested for doing this kind of thing you do. We also talk a lot before we record the podcast just to get sort of, it's almost like warming up your thinking, warming up your brain, kicking some ideas about. And that's really important to me that we just feel like we're in touch with that flow as it's like to be called you know that you're mm-hmm. actually in touch with your creativity that you feel safe that you explore and that's why i think actually you can't work creatively in certain hours creativity needs space mm-hmm. that means maybe you need to sit 10 minutes in the sun or do whatever you do that's not creative you know something the task that just gives your brain a bit of a rest there's a lot of things that i do love about this job but i think the number one thing is diversity because a lot of jobs, I haven't had that many jobs before. A lot of the times, there's not a lot of diverse people in the group. So why is it important for you to represent different people from different backgrounds? I just think it's really interesting. I think this is why I live in Birmingham. I mean, the UK hasn't got that much going for it in many ways. You know, it's not a particularly easy country to live in. Mm-hmm. But certainly Birmingham is just so interesting in the amount of diverse voices you have here. I'm personally just really interested in what other people think. And when people have different backgrounds, they have a different point of view. And that's what I've always loved all my life. Mm-hmm. So I think this was really a conscious decision to say we want to see different voices. We want to work with different people. And also working across different age ranges, I think it's really interesting and mm-hmm. different knowledge you know just like Elita just because Elita for example is younger she knows much more about classics than me so we also try not to be like oh you're the younger person you're in a hierarchy I'm absolutely against that we need Mm -hmm. to just look at what have we got to bring to the table so I think it's in that light and it's I really like to live in Birmingham for that it's just nobody looks at you if we walk down the street together the four of us nobody will look oh who are these people why Mm -hmm. are they together you know what it's it's different i really like how you talk about the age range because i have found that my friends will be like oh what are you doing tomorrow i'm like sorry i'm recording a podcast and they're like who let a 16 year old on a podcast like what crazy person is like yeah i'm gonna let a 16 year old on a podcast i'm like no because i'm not by myself i'm not expected to just figure it out there are people helping like i think when we did one of the interviews someone we were doing an interview with they told me like how they start interviews how they warm up the person they're interviewing beforehand so then it's like a much smoother and I've been doing that and that's worked really well and I feel like every time I interview someone I learn something new about how interviewing works so they slightly get better and better and I think if you don't let people start then how are they supposed to become big podcasters people don't just end up being big creatives they have to work through it and I think me starting as a 16 year old shouldn't be so weird as is to some people but you've allowed me to see that if I was to work on anything I could probably get better throughout time it's given me quite a bit of confidence I think that's really good but I also think it's really important to remember if we only let people do podcasts who've been trained to do podcasts we will always have the same voice again and the same point of view so say you would go to university you learn podcasting you'd be very likely taught by a white male so you're going to be shaped into something that we don't need to hear more of actually if we don't work in this explorative space and develop new ideas we will never get a new voice that's why i think and i always say you know what's the worst thing that can happen you have to be real i mean we're recording a podcast 
this is not brain surgery yeah. so it's not high risk so why are we not taking that risk i think it's really important to take creative risks because we learn something and i have to say i probably know less than you about podcasting so what's the problem really when did you become interested in the tower ballroom in the lockdown in 2020 it meant that we all had to stay home really before that i worked all across europe i worked across the country and we had to stay home in 2020 so we used to do a lot of walks around the reservoir with my colleague gavin rogers who teaches at Wolverhampton university and was also a visual artist and we started to sit on benches and dream about the tower ballroom mm-hmm. because i'm i love dancing so i i always look for good floors you need a good sprung dance floor so we kind of started to dream what a space could be like where you could be free with your body, where mm-hmm. people wouldn't judge you, which is not like a club or something, but a proper safe space for moving. We know what's happening to the tower now. Obviously, it's being assessed and torn down. If you could change that, what would you do? Unlimited money, no one stopping you. What would you do with the tower? I think I would strip it back to the old Victorian internal metal structure which mm-hmm. is still there it's completely intact i think it's was slightly damaged in the wall but it's pretty much intact i've seen reports on it i would also keep the underpass and the terrace make it nicer but kind of strip it back and then re um, fit it with sustainable materials which we have plenty of today and then make it either an open space for roller skating fitness that kind of thing or make it a, a multi-use performance space Definitely the sprung floor is needs to be staying in there because, you know, I told you I'm a dancer, so this is a given. But I think we could really make it a place where you would take foreign visitors. For example, the leader of the council could actually go and say, why don't you come to this space? We're going to have a coffee here and you're going to see this amazing Edgbaston Reservoir. And I think we could do it also in a way that it's not becoming exclusive venue where like the ordinary people who walk around the reservoir can't go into it. They should have a cafe. So all the people who come to walk and jog and cycle here have facilities mm-hmm. and also we can just enjoy the space, have a coffee. It's not too expensive. It could be like a social enterprise, for example, for people from Ladywood because we have higher unemployment here. And I think a venue, but a future facing venue, of course, it's not going to be the tower it was, but nobody's saying that, but future facing venue medium-sized performance venue because they are really rare in Birmingham. It's very hard mm-hmm. to find a space. So we struggled a lot to find a launch space for this podcast and film. So we had to go outside of Ladywood and ask myself, why is that? Why should we have to leave Ladywood to show our products? And I think it could be a really beautiful space. And what I don't really understand is why the people who are in charge don't see that they're developing tons and tons and tons of housing around here which is not even suitable for the people who live here but those people who will move to these flats want to go out somewhere now somebody tell me where do you go out in ladywood where where can we go like if we now get up from here and go for coffee i think there's exactly one coffee shop there's a pub where you don't want to go in if your friends are of color as well because everybody will look at you do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so where are these spaces where could we go and do some exercise I know you go for boxing classes in Newtown. Why? Is those kind of questions, I think, that need to be asked. Because if we have that many new residents here, they need to go somewhere as well. And the Mm. people who've been here all along. And there's lots of people who agree with that. So I've talked to people from different areas around here who agree with this. But there seems to be an obsession of destroying this working class history.
So what do you think the future of Ladywood looks like now with everything that you've heard of what might be happening in the near future? How it looks like is that they're going to gentrify it so they want to get rid of people like us. What I see around us is that all the houses are being bought up by landlords, being made into um, HMOs, so houses of multiple occupations, students were being put in, so that's high value return. The area has really gone down in terms of cleanliness, so you kind of run it down and then you go like, oh, look at it, it's a real slum, let's pull it down. So people say that's not the truth. But this is what's happening right in front of our eyes. I think the people of us who live here see it. I've lived here 10 years. It's changed radically. There didn't used to be rubbish all over the streets all week long, that kind of thing. If you look out of the window where we're sitting now, you can see the city encroaching. So it feels like this will be claimed by better people than us. Mm-hmm. People who are less diverse, people who are less working class, who have probably got less children. You know, that's what I feel. And people talk about the Edgbaston Reservoir needs to be discovered. It doesn't need to be discovered. We're here. Mm-hmm. We're using it. This is where I think it's going and it shouldn't go that way. Overall, are there any future projects that we should look out for? If it's to do with the tower or just anything to do with birds associates? I think at the moment we're just going to tie this project up and then probably doing a nice film screening and then looking into some other storytelling we want to do. We work also a lot with Simone Smith, who's a poet. We're going to do some more work around women's history because that's also something we're really interested in, untold narratives. And yeah, look out for some heritage projects and hopefully a partnership with We Don't Settle. How can more people get involved with the projects that we do? It's really interesting, I think, we could maybe think about after we've done this project to really take stock and think how we can get people more involved. And Mm -hmm. it's a really good and timely question because recently I met somebody through a chance meeting and he said, oh yeah, my parents met at the Tower Ballroom and I met two people recently. You know, when we do our projects, we do call-outs and we don't find the people and then suddenly these people appear. So I think this is a really good question and something we need to, when we've released all this, need to sit down and maybe map and think how we could do a deeper engagement with the neighbourhood. Or it's not even the neighbourhood because people met here, they lived here and they moved somewhere else or they never lived here but loads of people came from all over Birmingham to this place that's something I've been thinking about and that's maybe something we should do in the next phase because I think the Tower Ballroom isn't done the history isn't done there's still so much to be discovered I don't know what both of you feel about that no I definitely agree the more we talk to people the more stories you get and then you bring it up with someone randomly and then they go, oh yeah, yeah, no, my grandparents used to go there. Why have we never talked about this? I guess it's just kind of like, if you don't bring it up, people won't just share. People just feel like, oh, like, you don't want to hear about something that my grandparents isn't like, I absolutely do. This is something that's very interesting to me. It's just interesting how it is important to the local because I remember when we did the street interviews. Yeah. We interviewed your friend Nelly and she said that her grandma went there and you'd never know that until you start speaking. Like, about I've things. known her since primary school and it's just, <laughs> we went to the same secondary school, has not come up. We've known each other for what, seven, eight years of our lives? Nothing. And then all of a sudden you ask one question and it's like all this history from a person that you've known for ages. I think that's really important for me as well because I feel like we, many people in the city feel like they are not really rooted because we constantly kind of refuse to tell the stories of us because we feel they're not worth it, they're not valuable because we're being told 
like in school, you being when you do the Victorians, you work about London or Brighton, and I say why. So I think there might be an interesting project to say actually how could we work a bit more on the streets, actually do more street interviews, just go out and talk to people and film or audio record them. I think audio recording probably easier because people are hesitant in being filmed, but just collecting stories and then also maybe thinking about ways how we could translate this into kind of learning resources for schools. So people who go to school here, young people, actually learn about the city and learn about this city as an immigrant city, as a diverse city yeah. that's always had immigration. Let's cut this that... People come here in Windrush. People were here long before and people from all backgrounds. And we need to really just say, this is who we are. People have migrated from inside the UK. People have migrated from Europe a long time. People have migrated from the African continent, from the Caribbean way before Windrush. So let's mm. not only keep telling this story because that leaves you under the impression that migration is something new and that it's something strange. And it gives people of white heritage an excuse to say, oh, I'm from here. But actually, if they probably look one or two generations back, they'll find that they are half Ukrainian or quarter German or Italian or Greek. And mm -hmm. just because they're white and you can anglicize their name, it's kind of vanished. So we need to bring that up again. So this is why the tower interests me as a lens. Because the tower hosted Indian communities, it hosted Italian communities, Greek communities, and I think there is something more to state about this. So this would maybe be interesting to do in a series of podcasts, more like, yes, talk about the tower's history, but what does that actually mean, how we live together as an intercultural society, and how can we be more expressive about this? Thank you for listening to Amplifying Voices, a five-episode podcast series produced by the children of the diaspora. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't hesitate to send us your reaction and comments either on Instagram at Bert's Associates or by email. That's admin at bertsassociates.net. A Bert's Associates podcast brought to you by the Birmingham 2022 Festival. Find out more on our website, bertsassociates.net.